Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Your enthusiasm is less than impressive. You know why? Because tomorrow, Memorial Day, is really the official first day of summer. And that's when Christians let their guard down. That's when everybody lets their guard down. You know, they just relax. Now, I love summer, but we don't have the luxury as Christians of letting our guards down. But that's what we do in the summer. We just let our guards down. Well, Satan and his forces start getting much more aggressive in the summer, and you'll notice that. So don't let your guard down. Anyway, who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. In his New Testament gospel, the Apostle John's entire subject matter is an answer to the question, who is Jesus Christ? And these three verses of John's gospel tell the story. John chapter 1, verse 1, he starts off right away. In the beginning, not a beginning, was the Word. That's ho lagos in Greek, and it's a reference to the Lord, God the Son. And the Word was with God the Father. God the Son was with God the Father. And the Word, God the Son, was God. In the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible, this verse says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was like a God, small g. See? So, you know, one of the things we like doing is we like saying that the religious people don't know who Jesus Christ is. You know, maybe they were never taught. You know, maybe the little children in the middle of Africa never heard about Jesus Christ. Everybody has heard of Jesus Christ. Everybody's been taught. And you can always tell when you go to religious sites and see how they distort what the Bible is saying. And that's one of the distortions. He was like a God. He was not like a God. He's not lesser than Jehovah, God the Father. He is the exact same as God the Father. He is deity. And they, he and God the Holy Spirit are all co-equal. They have the exact same essence, co-infinite and co-eternal. And that's just that. So that's how John starts things off. That the Lord, God the Son, was with God the Father from the very beginning, not a beginning, because they have no beginning and no ending. And God the Son is every bit the same as God, as God the Father. John chapter 1, verse 14. Here's what made him special. And the Word, whole Logos, the Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, 
And he lived among us 33 years, and we beheld his glory. We saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten one from the source of God the Father, sent to the earth by God the Father, not to judge the world, but the world, that the world might be saved through him. Full of grace, full of truth. And then the third verse that tells the story about who Jesus Christ is is John chapter 20, verse 31, which says this, These things written in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. And we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. I got a call from someone I respect yesterday telling me that a couple of people that were in an ordination class that I was part of where I laid on hands are teaching false doctrine. And now we're going to have to do that distasteful thing, and that is to go talk to a pastor who is not receptive to outside influence except from pastors who don't know what they're talking about and tell them that they need to stop teaching false doctrine. And we hope they listen because if they don't listen, then we have to make it public. See, so those are the fun things that we get to do as pastors. Amen? Don't you wish you could take my place in this? No, you can. You can. You can help me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks. Pray for me. Yeah. Well, you'll be in our thoughts and prayers, Pastor. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the stuff's not the, that is not fun. It, it really is not fun. But because this pastor is on his journey. I took the journey through sin. I took the journey through legalism. I took the journey through misunderstanding. We all take that journey. And we hope that there's somebody who comes along and says, hey, man, you need to, to look at this a, a little different way than you're looking at it. And the person that you're, getting this, that you're using as the source of your stuff, that guy's off base. You just need to check. Because we shouldn't be using guys as the source of where we get our information as pastors. This is the only source we need. It was the worst experience of my life for a moment, calling out, systematic theology and saying it was false and that I had been teaching false doctrine. It was real quiet for a minute because all I had was the Bible. All the commentaries that I used, all the notes that I used were all gone, and all I had was the Bible. But I read and write Greek. I can read this. I can go to the Greek. I know exactly what it says, and I can tell you about it. And that's all I need. That's all we need. God is so focused. He gave us one thing. And there it is. And it's all we need. It's amazing. So, Barah Ministries exists for the benefit of Christians who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of his word. And we don't want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with God when we want to dumb him down to a bunch of right and wrongs and dumb him down to laws when we want to be moral 
and then look at everybody else as immoral. And that's one of the things that drives me absolutely crazy. People who are moral don't know that their morality is much worse than those who live on the immoral pole. It's much worse, but it's the same pole. It's just two different ends of the same sewer. That's all it is. And there's a whole life beyond that. There's a whole life above it, and it's called grace. And that's what religion does. Religion dumbs God down, turns him into somebody who's, who's looking to come down on us, to step on our head. Well, what did, what did John 1.14 say? That the Lord is full of grace and full of truth, full of grace, willing to let you make mistakes, not concerned about your mistakes at all. Huh. Why wouldn't Jesus Christ be concerned about your mistakes at all? Why wouldn't he offer you a punishment for your mistakes? Why? Because he paid for them at the cross. Now, if somebody says that you have to have a punishment for your mistakes, then their Jesus Christ version didn't pay for your sins at the cross. Because why would you? There's a law called the law of double jeopardy in United States jurisprudence. And it says you can't be tried for the same crime twice. Our sins have already been tried, paid for. They're, it's done. And what do we do every time we make a mistake? Oh, I can't believe I did that. Why can't you believe it? You're a moron. Why can't you believe it? If you ever have trouble believing it, come and talk to me. I'll help you. Yes, you goof. Why are we so, why are we so uptight about that? Why are we so uptight about making mistakes? And we, 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 we just drill that into our kids. Don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake. How do you learn if you don't make a mistake? There's nothing wrong with making a mistake. Learn from it. It'd be best if you don't duplicate it. Yeah, I got a, a buddy of mine who's got seven kids by seven different women. It's like, dog. <laughs> I mean, you... Have you ever heard of those little things? <laughs> I don't know what they're called. Condominiums or whatever. I don't know. Uh, house. Right? But, you know, just get a clue. But who am I to judge him? I've made mistakes too. A lot of them. What am I going to point at him and forget about me? And there are a lot of people, the moral people in the world, who are always pointing at other people, and they never look in the mirror. They can see everybody's mistakes, but they can't see their own. Well, I see them. (laughs) So if you're moral and you need somebody to point out your mistakes, call me. I'll help you. Not to judge you, just to help you. Just look in the mirror. And so if you want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with God, you've got to get off that moral, immoral, right and wrong train and come on over to the dark side, grace. Because that's where God lives, grace. Why stay, <laughs> what you say? Hey, don't be writing that down. June, June said, hmm, that'd be a good song. Grace is not the dark side, coming soon to a theater near you. Jeez, June. All right. Why, oh, boy. Why study the Word of God? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul tells us how to look at the Word. He says, therefore, first of all, put aside all malice, all deceit, 
Oh, hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? People who talk from behind a mask. The Greek word hypocrites. You remember the drama masks, the smiling drama mask and the frowning drama mask? Those were used in the theater so that people who were up in the cheap seats could know whether they should laugh or sigh. Right? If the person was saying something funny, they hold up the, the, the funny face and everybody go, ha, ha, they hold up. They hold up the frowny face. Whoa, whoa, the mighty Agamemnon is dead. Oh, that's what it is. Hypocrisy is talking from behind a mask. It's trying to pretend like you're somebody you're not. You, you think Jesus was a kinder, gentler person? Go read Matthew 23 and see the seven woes that he used. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. There is nothing worse in a language that you could say to somebody than woe. Our four-letter words are kindergarten compared to woe. He wasn't gentle with the Pharisees. So, therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander, take off the dirty clothes, the dirty clothes of sin, especially the worst kinds of sin, which are the mental attitude sins. 1 Peter 2, 2. And like newborn babies in new snuggly clothes, long for the pure milk of the word of God. That's what the word of God is like. It's like delicious, pure milk that cleanses from the inside so that by the word you may grow in respect Uh, to your salvation. What does it mean to grow in respect to your salvation? It means to know what God did for you by saving you. Because when when we get saved, we just say, okay, I believe in Christ. We don't know what we did. But more importantly, we don't know what he did, how he had to die to make it easy for us to be saved. 1 Peter 2, 3. And if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, and of course you have. So that's what Peter has to say about why study the word of God so that we can taste the pure milk of the word so that we can taste the kindness of the Lord. As believers in Christ, ridding ourselves of sin and gravitating to the word of God is a blessing beyond description. I'm glad that you are here to taste the deliciousness of the word. We implore you to always compare what you learn both at Barah Ministries and in the world with what the Bible has to say. That's not just an invitation. It's a Christian responsibility. Well, God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says this, We believers in Christ know that we are possessions of God the Father, and we also know that the whole world lies in the power of Satan, the evil one. Why do we lie in the power of Satan? Because he is the ruler of this world. Now, the Lord does, everything the Lord does is perfect, and it was perfect for us that he put us in the spiritual gymnation of Satan's kingdom. It was perfect for us that he put us here so that we could see what the creator-creature conflict is all about and what it is that he went through in this whole matter. So, Let's really look at how Satan the scumbag operates. The Bible has many functional titles for Satan. Scumbag is my title, but that you will not find that in the Bible. But the descriptions all point to a scumbag. And 
one of those titles is accuser of the brethren. Brethren are believers in Christ. He is an accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 10 says this, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down from heaven. He who accuses believers in Christ before our God both day and night. Right now in the Supreme Court of Heaven there is a court case going on. It's called the creator-creature conflict. And what Satan is doing as the prosecuting attorney who called God unfair and unloving, what he is doing is accusing God and accusing his believers day and night. Satan whispers the enticement to sin into our ears. Temptation. And we listen. We obey him, acting on the temptation while simultaneously disobeying God. And as if the guilt and shame of the sin we commit were not enough, Satan then accuses us before our God. You call this person a Christian? He disobeyed you. And the only reason he worships you is that you bless him, destroy him, curse him, and let him die. If God were to listen to Satan about you, destroying and cursing you, to be fair, he'd have to do the same thing to Satan. The Lord would have to destroy and curse the devil because the devil did the exact same thing that we do. He sinned. So that's how stupid the smart guy is. Satan's the most brilliant genius ever to come from the hand of God, and he is the stupidest smart guy ever because he accuses us of the very things that he did. You got any friends like that? They're always talking about the sin you commit, and they're doing the same exact thing. Got any of those in your life? People who are just not comfortable with the fact that they're in relationships with human beings. So God doesn't destroy and curse you. He doesn't destroy and curse the devil. Instead, the Lord paid for our sins. Every sin we'd ever commit, past, present, and future at the cross paid for those sins, and offers grace when we make mistakes. As believers in Christ, we triumphantly rest in the victorious proclamation of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what Bra Ministries is all about. Jesus Christ is God. The Word of God is supreme. And the Word and the Lord have an enemy, Satan. And I remind you of that every single week so you don't ever forget it. Today's Bible lesson, for Christians, there is no end. For Christians, there is no end. You hear people say it all the time, life is short. Some think of this expression as a call to appreciate every moment in life. Well, I don't know about you or what your experience is, but... As grateful as I am for God and to God, I find it virtually impossible to appreciate every moment that I live. I think of the life is short idea as the fatalistic end of the idea, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. How many times have you said, life is short? As Christians, we should be really careful what expressions we adopt. It's all good. Everything has a reason. 
Satan always promotes these mantras, these stupid mantras that mean nothing. We just adopt them. For believers in Christ, life is not short at all. Our lives are eternal. That's right. We are going to live for all eternity. From the moment of salvation, we are privileged to share the life of God, a life that has no beginning and no ending. The human life is everlasting. It has a beginning and no ending. The soul once born never dies. Believers in Christ have eternal life at the moment of salvation. They go from everlasting life to eternal life because they are placed in union with Christ and they share the life of our Almighty God. So for believers in Christ, life is forever. And in that context, the brief time we spend on earth, these 80, 90, or 100 years, is simply a learning experience. And if we are wise, we study the Word of God during this time, we learn about our Almighty God, about his power, his plan, his protection, his provision, and his presence in our lives. So as we wrap up 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul brings to a thrilling close his argument about the power of resurrection from the dead. Our God has the power to resurrect us from the dead. And from his argument, we learn that believers in Christ have an amazing future. Or as the Carpenters put it in their song, we've only just begun. In today's lesson, we're reminded by Paul that Christians have no end and the resurrection from the dead assures it. So let's hear some music. God, God's intent for his believers is expressed in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says this, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. God has you right where he wants you, in other words. That's what God wants for each of us, contentment in the soul, that we learn the secret and the power of contentment. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, may, Now may, the God, may God the Father of hope fill you believers in Christ with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope Hope in Greek is absolute confidence. Not I hope so, like in English, but absolute confidence that you may abound in absolute confidence through the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit. Well, here's king and country to sing about contentment in their song, Joy. Watching the nightly news Don't seem to find the rhythm Just wanna sing the blues Feels like a song that never Stops Feels like it's never gonna Gotta get that fire fire Back in my bones Before my heart Heart turns into stone So somebody please Pass the megaphone I'll shout it on the you 
grateful heavenly father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth the word of god father thank you for caring about every detail of our lives thank you for caring where we are and knowing where we are every moment of the day thank you for providing the solutions in our lives before we even know we have problems help us to pray as we should help us to come to prayer to get orders from you rather than to give orders to you Order our steps, influence our minds, open our spiritual eyes, help us to see as you see, and to value what you value. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's lesson, for Christians, there is no end. For Christians, there is no end. Christians don't die. Our bodies die, thank goodness, this body racked with sin, racked with the flesh. We, we want to be rid of this as soon as we can be. In the final section of 1 Corinthians 15, section 6, the Apostle Paul summarizes his thoughts about resurrection. 
all of us as believers in Christ will be resurrected from the dead because once we're in union with Christ, we share everything that Christ has, and Christ was indeed resurrected from the dead. And Paul answers the question that is buzzing around in the heads of the believers in the first century church at Corinth. How is resurrection possible? The first question they were wondering is, is it real? Second question was, how is it even possible? And they were thinking that it wasn't possible because they were listening to the Greek philosophers of the day who were trying to apply logic to the supernatural, who didn't give God credit for being omnipotent as a God who has all the power. Well, let's remind ourselves of what we learned in section 5 of the chapter, and then we'll hear the Apostle Paul's concluding thoughts in section 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, remember what the subject matter is. Now, if Christ is preached, and he is, that he has been raised from the dead, how is it that some of you in the first century church at Corinth are saying that there is no resurrection from the dead? What are you, nuts? Well, as we now know, if there is no resurrection from the dead, there is a domino effect that makes our life meaningless. There's no, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ wasn't resurrected from the dead. If he wasn't resurrected from the dead, then he's just a martyr and your sins aren't paid for. If your sins aren't paid for, you're still in your sins. And when you die, you're just going to be dead. Amen? That's not true, though, is it? Nope. Those dominoes, that's the wrong dominoes. They need to go get some pizza. Because those dominoes do not work. That is totally false. But if it was true, we're wasting our time here. There's no such thing as Christianity. And I and God the Father are lying to you about Christ. That is not the case, I assure you. So as we now know, there is a resurrection from the dead. Paul has put this false idea to rest in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. He says, but now, as a matter of fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The Christ, the Messiah, is the first fruits of those who are asleep. In other words, there are going to be many more souls harvested who will be resurrected from the dead in the future. You among them, if you are a believer in Christ. Now a reminder of what we studied last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 35 to 49. But some will ask, How is it possible that the dead are raised? How is it possible that the dead are resurrected from the dead? And with what kind of body do the dead come back? Do they just get taken out of the grave with their decomposed, worm-eaten body? Or do the ashes get reassembled into a body? That's what they're asking here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 36. You fool! Paul... Paul is not amused at all by this ridiculous assumption. That which you sow, a seed, does not come to life unless it dies. 1 Corinthians 15, 37. And that which you sow, a seed, you don't sow the body which the seed is to become when the seed is fully grown, but you sow a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. 1 Corinthians 15, 38. But God gives the seed a body just as God wills. God does with each seed what he wants to do with it. And to each of the seeds, God gives a body of its own. 
one that is proper for the situation. Some seeds have to have a really tough exterior. Some seeds have to have a very soft exterior to grow in the environment that they grow in. And God knows every intricate and intimate detail. He is intricate and intimate in all of his dealings, and especially in his dealings with you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows exactly what you need at all times, and he has already provided it. And it will be unfolding to you. Nothing catches an omniscient God who knows all the knowable by surprise. God does not work on the fly like you do. God does not wing it like you do. His plan is already in place, and you will get to see it unfold in your life. It will appear to you magically. It's just amazing. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there's one flesh of men. Human beings have a flesh. There's another flesh of beasts, animals. If you pet a dog, you know that a dog's flesh is not the same as yours. And there is another flesh of birds. Birds have a different flesh. If you ever picked up a bird and you see the wings and all the intricacy of the bones and the wing structure. And then there's another flesh of fish. And if you've ever taken the scales off fish, you know that they have a quite different flesh. So God is the one who creates all those. 1 Corinthians 15, 40. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly body is one thing, and the glory of the earthly body is quite a different thing. 1 Corinthians 15, 41. There's one glory of the blazing sun, which is hot, 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 as we know here in Phoenix. There's another glory of the soft glow of the moon, which is a reflection of the light of the sun just like we are a reflection of the light of the sun, S-O-N. There is another glory of the twinkling stars. We see a star in the sky, and that star could be dead. It could have been dead for a, a thousand years, but the light is still getting here, and the light has not become burned out to our vision as yet. And star differs from star in glory. Because stars have individual qualities just like people have individual qualities. Look at your finger. Look at your right hand and look at the fingerprint on your right hand. Nobody else in the world has that fingerprint. That's how God thinks of you. That is a message from God that you are individual and unique to him. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. The human body, like a seed, it goes into the ground and dies. And it is raised by God, an imperishable body, a resurrection body, as beautiful as a plant. 1 Corinthians 15, 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised by God in glory. There will be a time when we will experience the people that are in our lives in heaven without their sin nature present. They'll actually be nice for a change. Can't wait. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised by God's power. Because human power and divine power are quite different. And we think in human power terms way too much and forget that we have access to the same power Every single moment of our life that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen.
Yeah, shut up. You don't even think that way. You forget, don't you? You forget that you have that power. You doubt. You got goals and you go, I hope so. And you think, God willing, I'm blessed. (laughs) That's weak. Omnipotence is not weak. You have omnipotence at your disposal. It's a nuclear warhead. Point God's nuclear warhead at your problems and you will blow your problems up. That's that. That's what you have at your disposal. 1 Corinthians 15.44 It is sown a natural body. It is raised by God a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, and there is, there is also a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15.45 Also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul in a human body, but the last Adam, Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit in a resurrection body. However, 1 Corinthians 15, 46, the spiritual body is not first. The natural body is first, then the spiritual body comes after. Why? Because God has a plan, and his plan is ordered. It is focused. It is clear. He knows exactly what he's doing. 1 Corinthians 15, 47. The first man, Adam, is from the earth, thus earthy. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven, thus heavenly. 1 Corinthians 15, 48. As is the earthy, so are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so are those who are heavenly. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And just as we have borne the image of the earthy, that born meaning carried it, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Well, when we get back from our break, we'll take the offering and then we'll continue our study of the final section, section 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong. At the end of the line, will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me. For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying who do you think you are I say I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song 
Today's Bible lesson, for Christians, there is no end. For Christians, there is no end. When we give, 
We present something voluntarily without any expectation of return compensation. We can give of our time, we can give of our talent, we can give of our treasure. Because of my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I've learned to make giving my life's work without expecting anything in return. And I can tell you with all honesty that the Lord has not honored my desire to not get anything in return. He always gives in abundance. John chapter 10 verse 10 says this, The thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, came that believers in Christ may have the resurrection life, and I came so that they might have the resurrection life abundantly. So as a result of the Lord's generosity, I have learned not to have a mindset of scarcity in the matter of giving. As you give today, give without fear, give abundantly, knowing that with the Lord, you will always get abundance in return. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring, often funny, often pastor castigating, (laughs) offering messages. Good morning. morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. It's interesting, as we study the Corinthians, it must have been tough for them to just live on a daily basis as, you know, this just wider range of people from rich to poor. You know, the poor hated the rich, and the rich hated the poor, and everybody probably thought they were better than everybody else, and We think it's so far from today, but it's really just the same as today. I mean, it's really easy in life to to drive around and get down on yourself. You know, you drive, you think you're in a nice truck, and you see somebody in a better truck, a bigger truck. Or, you you know, we work in homes that are 10,000 square foot, maybe maybe 12,000 square foot. And I'm in a, you know, 2,000 square foot home. I feel like, man, where did I mess up? And just, these are some serious mistakes. These guys got huge houses, and, you know, and then you got the perfect families that are right by you. They got the two kids with scholarships to sports to school and they don't have to pay for college and my kid he can barely play catch you know I'm just like ball hits him in the forehead oh alright maybe not sports you know and you think like is this my fault as a father you know that I not train him up you know but it's just it's, it's not my fault you know I don't own his choices and it's, it's really easy to think that it's my fault you know as a, as a father you know and even like mothers you know they train up and they, they teach their kids and they they do so much for them, and then the kids treat them like shit, or the kids yell at them, or the kids don't listen to them at all. They don't listen to any of the things the moms tell, tell, teach them. They don't apply it to their life, you know, but a mom doesn't own their decisions, you know. It's not their fault. It's not our fault as parents, you know, and you think, just like Pastor, you know, his life, he could look back and say, I was Catholic, you know. Here we go. We hear him busting on you again. <laughs> Or systematic theology, you know, you're like, man, I wasted my time. What are you going to do, give up? You know, what are you going to do, quit? No, you've got all this knowledge now, this learning. You wouldn't have that learning without that journey. Just like parents wouldn't have this learning without their kids making mistakes and not doing what they should, what they should do. It's opportunities to learn. It's not an opportunity to feel bad for ourselves or think it's a deficiency. You know, in pastor, I mean, we've had a lot of people come and go. We've lost the royal family through here. That's got to hurt, you know, that's gotta, that hurts my pride, you know. I think back, why, as a deacon, why aren't we 100 people strong for this amazing pastor? You know, why aren't we in a huge church by now? We look at it as a deficiency, like we're in this little space. And, but what do we have? We have the truth here. 
we have an amazing pastor. We're all online. We can get, get it to any, anybody anywhere. So it's not a deficiency, but it's real easy to look at it that way. It's real easy to think that, you know, we're not stepping up like we should or like we've failed or our mistakes, others' mistakes are our problems. And it's really not that way, you know, because we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, verse 9 and, the Lord said, and the Lord has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for divine power is perfected in human weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So it's really easy to think about weakness as a bad thing, but in the plan of God, they're a good thing because it shows others that the power isn't us, it's God's power. You know, and it's really easy at the offering to think of it as a deficiency. Oh, I've got to give away money. I've got I to you know, come off of my, my hard-earned cash. But it's really an opportunity for you to extend the grace of God to others around us so that they can have the gospel message, so they can get out of the, the darkness, right, June? Into the light. <laughs> And so, you know, it's, it's an opportunity, and I just, you know, we should all remind ourselves of this, the plus R, the righteousness that's stenciled on our head, that, that we have in our soul. It's an amazing thing, and God has us right where he wants us because of that. So don't look at life as something that's bad or that we messed up. It's not a deficiency. It's opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to help others learn. And it's always a wake-up call when, when mistakes happen. Are we going to feel bad about it, or are we going to learn and move on? Pastor showing us the way. Let's learn, let's move on, and let's go keep fighting. Dioko, look it up. <laughs> have you been praying? And you still have no answer. Have you been pouring out your heart for so many years? Have you been hoping that things would have changed by now? Have you cried all the faith you have through so many tears? Don't forget the things that he has done before. And remember he can do it all once more. It's like the price. Sunrise, waiting on the
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson for Christians, there is no end. For Christians, there is no end. Once we are born, we don't die. We multiply. Uh, you know, I, I, Deacon Denny, I, I like what you had to say in the offering message, as I always do. And I, I think that Barah Ministries is a nice, intimate church. And we have intimate relationships among the people in the church. And that's really amazing. And it would really be nice to have more people in, in the church and more intimacy and the things that go along with that. And one of these days we will. And when we do, we're going to be thinking, man, I sure wish we were back in those days where they were just you know, intimate. And I wish all these pr- crazy people would go somewhere else. But, uh, you know, God does everything in timing, and he is preparing us for what he's got, uh, he, he has in store for us to do. And so we just take it one step at a time. And I have not always had that philosophy. I was like, oh, come on, hurry up. I wish I had some patience. But, you know, he does everything in perfect timing. And so we just relax and enjoy. All right, so today's Bible lesson for Christians, there is no end. Let's take a look at Paul's concluding remarks on resurrection, how the dead are raised in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now I say this, and I mean it, brethren, believers in Christ, and this is a summary of the previous section, that flesh and blood... That is, a perishable human body cannot inherit the kingdom of God, which is a heavenly entity. Said another way, the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Awesome. There is quite a difference between an earthly entity and a heavenly entity. A perishable human body cannot exist in an imperishable heavenly environment. Amen? So, in other words, you do not want to take that sorry body that you have right now and try to get it to live in heaven. Amen? Amen. It's not going to work out. God knew it wouldn't work out, and so he made provisions for it. So, therefore, a change must take place in our bodies if they're going to be fit to inhabit heaven. June, I'm sorry. There are no crippled people in heaven. Amen? Ain't nobody up in heaven trying to fall down every other moment and got a bad knee. Amen? Amen, June. No surgeries needed in heaven. That heavenly body is perfect, and our earthly body is not. Our earthly body is breaking. <laughs> our earthly body is breaking down every day. We have something to look forward to, but yeah, we don't. God is not trying to bring bring crippled people up to heaven. Amen. <laughs> Therefore, a change must take place in our bodies if they're going to be fit to inhabit heaven. And God is the one who makes the change for us because he has the power to change us. Our current human body is not the body that will be resurrected. It will be our heavenly body that is resurrected. Now, the kingdom referred to in 1 Corinthians 15.50 is not the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is the the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God the Father. So after the millennial reign of Christ on the earth, the thousand years when Christ rules the earth, when all of his enemies have been made a footstool under his feet, the Lord will return the kingdom to his Father, and all things will be once again as they were before Satan's rebellion. 
Now, Paul speaks to his flock, the Gentile church age believers, and that's you. You are a Gentile, not a Jew. You are a Gentile church age believer. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Behold, I, Paul, tell you a mystery about the exit resurrection of the church age believers, which is commonly known as the rapture. We will not all be asleep when the Lord returns for us at the rapture. Some will be alive, but we will all be changed by God. We will all be transformed to the resurrection body. Now, the word mystery in that voice does not mean mysterious. Mystery in this context means that something revealed, it means something revealed to a select group. If any of you were ever in a fraternity or a sorority in college, there was a password that you all knew. And that when you see other people who are in your sorority or fraternity, and my mom was a Delta Sigma Theta, and she always used to do this secret crap. I don't know what it was or what they say or anything. But, you know, I just turned my back. I'm not looking. don't want to hear your password or whatever it is. But that was a mystery. It's the Greek word mysterion. Well, the fact that there were some things that the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament believers in Christ, were not privy to. Because the plan, the original plan of God, was that the Jews would get 490 years of evangelism. And then we would go right into the millennial reign of Christ. But when... 483 years had passed and Jesus Christ came and they rejected their Messiah, they were set aside for a period of time. And inserted into human history was this church age, the Gentiles. And so this is the age we're in right now, the age of the Gentiles. When this age is over at the rapture of the church, then the Jews will get to complete the seven years that were promised to them in a period known as the tribulation. And so that's what's upcoming. So that's what we're talking about here. Behold, I, Paul, tell you a mystery, the mysterion, about the exit resurrection of church-age believers, a mystery that was not revealed to the Old Testament believers, that we will not all be asleep when the Lord returns for us, but we will all be changed by God. We will be transformed. How will this seemingly impossible resurrection of the dead happen? Because that's what the unbelievers say about it. This is seemingly impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. It's impossible if you don't factor God into the mix. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. How will it happen? It'll happen in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye. What is the twinkling of an eye? The twinkling of an eye is faster than the blink of an eye. The twinkling of an eye is at the speed of light. So fast. At the last trumpet for the church, signaling God's appearance. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. How will you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is back for you, church-age believers? How will you know the rapture is is imminent, not intimate, imminent, M&M's. Does anybody have any M&M's? How will you know that the rapture is imminent? You'll hear a trumpet. It's a trumpet that will be heard all over the world. There will be no mistaking it. A trumpet. 
signaling that the Lord is back. And you'll look up in the sky and you'll see the Lord waiting for you in the clouds. And everything that you're doing will become irrelevant. And you will start to float up to the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And your change, your body will change into a resurrection body. And that's going to happen whether you're dead at the rapture or alive at the rapture. If you're dead at the rapture, you're going up first. If you're alive at the rapture, you're going up to follow the dead. And the change to a resurrection body is immediate. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53. You know, it's funny being up front. All you guys are all looking all up in your head trying to imagine that. Oh, I hope, I hope I'm not in the shower when it happens. Yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, will I get time to put on my makeup? No. You go up there scary, just like everybody. <laughs> no, he's gonna have, it's going to be exactly when you don't want it to be, so just get that in your picture. It's going to be exactly when you don't want it to be and how you don't want it to be. Yes, you are going to have bad breath when the rapture comes. Amen? All right. So let's just get used to that. What's going to happen? 1 Corinthians 15, 53. This perishable body, the human form, must put on like clothing the imperishable body, a resurrection body. And this mortal body must put on like clothing immortality. So they're not the same. You understand? The human and the heavenly are not the same. Thank goodness. That's right. You will have resurrection breath in heaven, but you'll still be chubby. Amen? <laughs> can I get a can I get a drum? Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm waiting. I know what is love is coming. (laughs) Once our resurrection is accomplished, the Lord takes care of the final enemy, death. Death's power is completely removed forever for church age believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. But when this perishable body will have put on the imperishable body, and this mortal body will have put on the immortal body, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now Paul personifies death. He makes death out like death is a person. That's what personification is. And he taunts it. And what does he say in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-five? This gives me goosebumps. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? What he's doing is quoting the prophets like Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. You can check that out on your own. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is from the source of sin. Because of Adam's sin, spiritual death. And the power of sin is the law. Wherever there is a law, sin increases. The only If I invite you to my house and I tell you you can have anything in my refrigerator, just don't touch that Snickers bar, that Snickers bar will be gone in record time. Amen? Because when you make a law, 
people look to break the law. If you knew that as parents, you would never make a law. You would always make guidelines. You would always make guidelines that kids can think with. But you would not make a law. You would not make a rule, because when you make laws and rules, they will break them. And then you're sitting there shocked. How did that happen? Well, why don't you check out Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The law came in so that the transgressions would increase. And where the transgression increased, grace increased all the more. And that citation may not be right. It may be in Romans 4, but it's in Romans 4 or 5. Anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God the Father who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. At the cross, the Lord defeated sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, the the verse I wish I had studied when I first became a Christian. Sin shall not any longer be a master, a Lord, a sovereign over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. If you as a believer in Christ are letting a religion tell you that your sins are an issue, you're letting them lie to you. Your sins are not an issue. They are handled. There it is. Sin shall not any longer be a master or Lord or a sovereign over you. What made that possible? The cross. And specifically, his resurrection from the dead made that possible. Amen? Amen. Is that clear to you? I wish somebody had taught me that. It would have saved me 50 years. Yeah, right? Yeah, it hurt for a long time. You are not under the law, believers in Christ. You are under grace. You are in a geodesic dome called grace. And the atmosphere in that geodesic dome is unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. That's God's attitude toward you. He loves you unconditionally, meaning he expects nothing of you. You can't disappoint him. He has forgiven every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future. They were credited to his account not to your account, and judged. And by the law of double jeopardy, you cannot be tried for the same crime twice. And thus, grace, the freedom to make mistakes with forgiveness already done in advance. You don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. You like feeling bad. You like coming down on yourself. You like calling yourself stupid. You like calling yourself an idiot. You love it when every time you make a mistake, I can't believe I did that. I'm so stupid. I'm an idiot. You like that. You don't want to break that habit. But you would have to break that habit if you thought God loved you unconditionally, if you thought he doesn't castigate you the way you castigate yourself. If you thought that he doesn't castigate you the way you castigate yourself, you'd have to break that habit. He wants you to break that habit. You know why? Because it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your energy. You get yourself like so stressed for nothing. You fell down. Get up and move on. It happens. 
Yeah, but what if you fall down again? Get up and move on. Yeah, but what if you get, fall down a thousand times? Get up a thousand one. Is there anything hard about this? Look, God did not make his plan for intelligent people. Amen? Amen. <laughs> He don't need no geniuses, amen? Is this real easy? <laughs> I just hope them people ain't in my neighborhood in heaven. <laughs> but I have a feeling they will be. <laughs> oh, great. That's <laughs> oh, just great. <laughs> At the cross. The Lord defeated the power of the law. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I love it. You got to read Galatians sometime. It's six chapters. Just read it and see Paul ripping the Galatians. He goes over there. He establishes a church. He teaches them about grace. And then as soon as he walks out the door, he, he hasn't, the door has not hit him in the butt yet. And they are already turned to legalism. And he comes back and he says, who bewitched you? What happened? Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, redeemed us. He purchased us from slavery to sin. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Why? For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Everyone who is crucified is considered to be the worst criminal in a society. He did not deserve to be crucified. You know, people are always saying that I, I don't deserve. The only person that applies to is Christ. He did not deserve crucifixion. He was not a criminal. He didn't commit a single sin. If you sin, you deserve. He didn't deserve any of this. But he went to the cross and endured the worst death in human history, the worst humiliation ever, for what? For you. And if you had been the only one, he'd have still done it. Amen? If you had been the only one, he'd have still done it. He sat there when your million sins were being ticked off onto his back. And when my three were being ticked off onto his back. Amen? He sat right there. Could have gotten off the cross. I said that because y'all like that one. You've been, yeah. They've been kind of boring today. I don't know. <laughs> the Lord purchased us with blood from the curse of the law. You want to get rid of your sins? I'll tell you what doesn't do it. Confession. You know what, what wipes out sin? Blood. So if you ever want to get rid of your own sins, just get out a knife. Just cut yourself and bleed your blood all over the sin. And you know what that will do? Nothing. Because it's only Christ's blood that pays for sins. Score is zero. Shut out. No hitter. He redeemed us from slavery to sin from slavery to the law, and all of our sins were transferred to him, the sinless one, because the only one who can pay for sin is a sinless one. Raise your hand if you're a sinless... I'm not even bothering. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. Why? In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, the blessing of salvation. Abraham believed in Jehovah Elohim, and it was credited to his account as righteousness so that we would receive the promise of God the Holy Spirit through faith, which is the blessing of sanctification. I'm going to read that verse again because it's powerful. In order that in Christ Jesus, that's your status at, at baptism. You are placed in union with Christ, a union you cannot get out of. People will tell you in religion all the time that when you sin, you are out of fellowship with God. They are lying. If you are a believer in Christ, you are placed in fellowship with God at the moment of salvation, and there is no way that God would ever let you get out. You move, he goes with you. You try to die, he goes with you. What did David say? Even if, I, even if I go to Sheol, even if I go to hell, you're with me. Amen? Can't get out of fellowship with God. It's ridiculous. In order that in Christ Jesus, that's a, an expression that you should just admire because it's all over the New Testament. In Christo Iesu, in Christo Iesu, in Christo Iesu, you are in union with Christ, that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, the blessings of salvation, so that we would receive the promise of God the Holy Spirit through faith, the blessing of sanctification. Your life goes from unbeliever to saved, salvation to sanctification, being conformed to the image of the Son. Amazing. And now our Lord defeats death. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to your marriage to the Mosaic law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined, married to another to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead so that we might bear fruit for God the Father. See, that's what God did for you at salvation. He broke your marriage to sin. He broke your marriage to the law. You got divorced from sin. You got divorced from the law. And you got married to Christ. You got placed into union with Christ, a union you can't get out of. So you're saved and you cannot lose your salvation. And anybody who tells you that you can is lying. And I don't care who they are. And if you want to bring them right here, we will go at it right here. And then I will throw them down on the ground and mash their faces into the ground and put carpet stains on their face. Amen? Bring them. Huh? That is not grace. That's justice. And come up in here and try to talk about my God. <laughs> because resurrection removes the power of death. So the Lord recommends through Paul, in light of all this that we've learned in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, therefore is always an indication, based on everything that came before this, my beloved brethren, you divinely loved ones. That's what a beloved brethren is, a divinely loved believer in Christ. Be steadfast. Stand firm. Be immovable. Don't get off your victorious ground. Keep on abounding in the work of the Lord always. Continuous action. 
Why? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in union with the Lord. See, I, it's a pleasure to be a pastor. It's a pleasure to do the work of the Lord and to encourage Christians to learn about and use their spiritual gift. Our service to the Lord will not end. Our lives will not end. We have much to look forward to because of our God's ability to resurrect us from the dead. Now, last thing, start thinking about your religious friends. Start thinking about what you've heard them say about God. And think about how small their view of God is. Our God's not small. Our God is big. And there is nothing too big for him. Sin is a joke to God. It's like a flea on a flea on a rat. The law, I wrote it. That's what he says. That was funny when the, the Pharisees bring this woman and throw her in the middle of the square and say, Jesus, this woman, she's been caught in adultery in the very act. And Jesus is thinking, where is the guy? Was she doing this alone? Where's the guy? Yeah, you ain't going to bring the guy, are you? Because he's a Pharisee. But he didn't say anything like that. He just bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. I've been on that very place where he scooped down and was writing on the ground with his finger. It's concrete. It's solid concrete. And he was writing on it. They should have gotten a hint. <laughs> that should have been a hint. Here's this woman in the very act. In the Mosaic Law, it says, yeah, I know, I wrote it. That's what Jesus was thinking. I wrote the Mosaic Law. I know what's in it. I'm, I'm surprised you know what's in it. The Mosaic Law tells us that we should stone this woman to death. And the guy, where's the guy? What is it that you say? Any one of you who's without sin, throw the first stone. Go on, hit her in the head. Just hit her in the head and get it over with quick. Go ahead. And they all started walking out. The old men first. The wise ones first. That's the God we have. And then he says to the woman, Did anybody condemn you? No, Lord. I don't condemn you either. Go and stop that stuff, you nasty. No, <laughs> so nasty. <laughs> yeah, he, he did not say that. He said, Go and sin no more with his gracious self. Man, what a what amazing what an amazing God we have. Huh? God. And and everybody wants us to think of him so differently. He's just he loves us. We can't take it. That's why we study the word, to be reminded over and over how much he loves us. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today are a reminder 
to anyone who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that God wants you. And what he wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. And I don't want anyone who comes to Barah Ministries to ever have an excuse as they stand before the Lord that they didn't know how to be saved. Because if you come here to Barah Ministries, you will hear in every single lesson how to be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you because you're his creature, you're his creation, and he wants the relationship so badly that he was willing to die for you. How often do you think about eternal things? As human beings, we tend to be concerned only with the here and now, the things that busy us from day to day, temporary things. Yet nobody gets out of this life alive, so there are questions about the afterlife. The things that happen when we die, the things eternal. And by the way, we know from uh, losing a member of our own family here at Barah Ministries that that can come quite suddenly, like a thief in the night, as the Bible says. So again, I ask you, how often do you think about eternal things? The Bible tells us that God's enemy, Satan, deceives us into being short-sighted. Satan diverts our focus to temporary things so that we don't prepare for eternal things. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 warns us to be of sober spirit, to be on the alert, because the adversary, the devil, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. For example, the Bible tells us how easy it is to be deceived by material wealth, a problem that pervaded the church at Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, the Lord says to the Laodicean believers, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, know your deeds, that you, like the water in your homes, are neither cold nor hot. And I, the Lord Jesus Christ, wish that you were cold or hot. Revelation three sixteen. So because you are lukewarm like the water in your homes and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm water is very distasteful, and so is religion to the Lord. Revelation 3.17, Because you Laodicean believers say, I am rich and have become materially wealthy, I have no need of anything, you do not know that you are spiritually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Revelation 3.18, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become spiritually rich and white garments that you may clothe yourselves, unlike the black wool that gave you your material wealth, so that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I advise you to to buy from me eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. My mom used to always say, none are so blind as those who refuse to see. And material wealth often blinds us to our spiritual poverty. We think only about now and not about eternity. What is it that the Lord wants us to see? Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one master and he will love the other master, or he will be devoted to one master and he will despise the other master. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Lord wants us to see that 
He is the way to get to heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 say this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Once you realize you can't buy your way into heaven, the only other way to get to heaven is by means of God's grace, which is free of charge. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, the gospel message, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. Accepting the Lord Jesus Christ's grace gift of eternal life saves you. And as a result of the Lord's work at the cross, the work that paid for the sins of all mankind, including yours, sin was eliminated as a barrier between you and God. That's called reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be a sin payment substitute on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God the Father in union with him. You can ask God the Father to credit your account with real wealth, spiritual wealth, his own righteousness, his own perfection, which is your admission ticket to heaven. God the Father will honor your request when you ask for his righteousness, and you will be saved. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 36, warns what happens if you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So take the free gift of eternal life right this moment. There's no time to waste. Just tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the moment of eternal life for you. Now is the time to think about eternal things. God wants you. And real wealth happens when you decide to have a relationship with him. Are you worthy of God's blessing? Well, let's, control, let's uh, conclude in song. In and of yourself, you aren't worthy of God's blessing, but God has done everything for you, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, So that you may proclaim the excellencies of God the Father, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if, as a believer in Christ, you're ever wondering how worthy you are, Look for two words in the Bible, in Christ, or in Greek, in Christo Iesu. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in union with Christ, and all believers in Christ are, there is a new creation. The old man things passed away, they died. Behold, the new creation has come into being. Here's June Murphy to tell us in song why. We are worthy. Mm-hmm. 
We have a diaphragm sighting. We have a diaphragm sighting, ladies and gentlemen. It was gone, but it's back. <laughs> that was awesome, June. Thank you. Let's close with words of worship for our almighty God. Ephesians 1.3, worthy of praise is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm a place of permanence through our union with Christ. God wants us to enjoy his gracious provisions. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In Christ we have redemption through his blood. That's deliverance from slavery to sin. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the glorious wealth provided by his grace, which he lavished on us, including as a gift to us wisdom and insight. Ephesians 3.20. 
Now to the God, the Father, who is able to do more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine, more than humanly possible, according to the divine power, omnipotence, that works within us. To him be the glory through the church-age believers in Christ Jesus, and to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for all the things that you do for us that are designed to grow us. Thank you for the tribulation that you give us that produces in us perseverance. Thank you for the perseverance you give us that produces in us proven character. Thank you for the proven character that you produce in us that gives us hope and absolute confidence of glory in our not-too-distant future. We pray that you open our spiritual eyes as we go forth into the world so that we can see those around us who are hurting, especially those who are hurting spiritually, so that we might bring them the gospel message and bring them the sustenance they need to exist with power in Satan's kingdom. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening. (laughs)